0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. i standing a little bit um, under the weather this morning. Usually that's a sin in that we're going to accomplish something. So it's um, a very big chus to, to speak to all of you. That um, I was just telling someone that, you know, there's a whole thing about balabatin and... Um, it's amazing that balabatim will work a whole year, and they finally get off a day from work. Where do they go? They end up to to come and sit and learn. And I said, it's an interesting thing that balabatim don't have ben hazmanim. <laughs> balabatim go to Daphne, They don't have ben Astor, They don't have ben hazmanim. So it's not that it's unbelievable. You finally get a day off from work. and Where are you? From nine o'clock till twelve to one o'clock, sitting sitting and learning. So, somebody asked me outside, sort of lofty, what's it doing with Klaus Yisrael? Pretty loaded question. Um, got into a little bit of trouble a while back when I started discussing what's it doing with Klaus Yisrael, but um, I said, one thing I can tell you, that we're going to be here forever. That's for sure. That, you know, a day off of work, we come to sit and learn. And the show based Rabban, the only issue is at school today. You know, the whole world is off today, all the schools are closed but the yeshivas in, in, in New York and the yeshivas everywhere are open, so we have nothing to worry about. We know that Haman, on his way home, talks about, the Meir speaks about that he stopped by a Yeshiva Kitana and the boys were learning, when he got to Zeresh and his whole chebra, he said, we are going to lose. And they said, what do you mean, you're invited to the Esther to the queen, you're the number one man, what do you mean we're gonna lose? It's signed with a signet ring, he said, "I know, but I just saw Jewish children learning, and there's no way we're going to be able to beat them. So, anyone wants to know about Klai well, one thing for sure, we will be here forever. That's for sure. So, every Shvat. Shvat stands for Shetiyah B'Suahis Toyvayis. So, my bracha to everyone at the time of this Sh'vat, you should hear a lot of good news for God's Klai Israel, Shetiyah B'Suahis Toyvayis. But Sh'vat also two Bishvad, we know Machlekes if it's if it's." The first day of Shvat the fifteenth of Shvat, and um, it's just very, very interesting. I remember when I was teaching eighth grade, and uh, I said, "It's Rosh Hashanah with no So the boys were like, "I don't understand, that. I mean, why would you say Happy New Year to a bunch of trees when they're dead?" I mean, you know, "Hi, Happy New Year to Shvat." Meanwhile, you look outside, and all the trees there's no leaves; they're frozen especially this week, they're really frozen, right? They're totally frozen, they look dead, and we're like, Jajatu Rosh Hashanah! Why don't we make Rosh Hashanah Lila in the springtime? Wouldn't it be much nicer if we made Rosh Hashanah Lila Nais and the trees have flowers and bugs and leaves? Why are we celebrating Rosh Hashanah for, for trees when the trees look really at the worst point of their yearly life? So I heard many years ago, Because that's a Jew. And that's what that's what we celebrate. We celebrate potential. And that's really my subject a little bit today, because we're talking about Jewish children and the education of Jewish children. We as Clay Israel, you know, Wallah Kaligwar. It's a very interesting Mishnah. It's uh it didn't fly with my father when I didn't finish my reports and my homework. But the Mishnah says it's not for you to get finished, it's for you to start. Because because the potential when somebody starts, you don't know what it's like to end up. You have to, you have to start. In fact, we well, just short story about, about this. But so, so Kleisow, we we celebrate potential, and I think that you know, in our relationship with our children and and husbands and wives, why why do you make such a big wedding? Look what's going on with these weddings, right? Seven hundred people, twelve piece band. Right? It's, it's 40000 60000 80000 if you're lucky. Right? Dresses, gowns, all the mice is just spending all this money. Maybe it's not going to work. Who says it's going to work? Right? There's a certain percentage of people that get divorced. What are you getting so excited about? Right? You know, I, I have a friend that he doesn't give checks or money for wedding presents. He, he said, I don't know if it's going to work. Money. Let's do it the other way around. This is what we really should do. On the 50th anniversary, right? So, what do you do on the 50th anniversary? The father, and the, you know, the, the grandfather, and the, the moshavah comes together, and you go on top of kosher delight or some little little restaurant, right? No band, no flowers, no big deal. The family, or in a house, right? You spend maybe a thousand dollars. That's a lot of money, whatever it is, right? But here it works. 50 years, they're married, and they're happy. So, we should make the wedding. At the 50th anniversary, we should get a band, thank you, and we should get flowers, and we should invite everybody. Look! It worked! But we don't do that. Why? Because we celebrate potential. So the celebration of a, of a girl and a boy getting married, potential of having children, making a family, opening a house for chesed, there's so much potential in a marriage, so much potential, that it's worth seven hundred people and a band and everybody coming to see these two young people. Oh my goodness, the potential that they're going to have! Fifty years—it's very nice, but pretty much the potential has been reached at that point. So we make a little party. So Kleinschroth, as Jews, we celebrate potential, and that's why Chasam Shalom When someone passes away, really, why, why do we sit shiva and we write why What are you so sad about? We really believe we have a muna, right? That the person is going to, what do you tell the people who are sending Shiva? Don't no worry, he's in a better place, he's next to the keys covered. So if he's in a better place next to the keys to the Cupboard, what are you all upset about? Why are we sitting on the floor? Why are we ripping our clothing? It's, a, it's like you, you, you got a, a plane for your parents in Louisville, a new snowstorm and you got them out of New York and you sent them to Florida. You're gonna sit there and cry? Oh, yeah, you're yeah, right, my parents went right to Florida. 20 below zero over here, we're freezing, and your father calls you up and says, I'm in Florida, it's 85 degrees. Thank you, it's amazing, right? You wouldn't be upset. So if we really believe that the Neshama goes to the next world, and it's sitting in Ganegen, what are you getting upset about? Sitting next to the Kisar cowboy, what are you upset about? Rice Kriya, sit on the floor, cry. What's going on over here? And the answer is that a Jew gets upset and sits on the floor and rips his clothing when potential is over. When there's no more potential in this world for that person, that is tragedy. So ladies and gentlemen, what is tragedy? Tragedy tragedy is when someone's potential is over or not realized. And the most tragic potential not realized is a child's. That is the most tragic potential, that when that is over, when that child doesn't believe that that child can do it, and that child gives up, I I can tell you that, you know, it's interesting. I gave a speech at the Goethe Convention. I'm sure none of you heard it. Um, <laughs> and and I, I spoke from my heart, and I really honestly did not say anything. If you listen to it, I really did not say anything. I really just said that it's on all of our watches, whether you're a, ra- a rabbi or a businessman, I t- and myself included. It's At the end of the day, we're all going to have to answer for our door. We don't have to answer we've done a mobble and we don't have to answer for the destruction of the base Hamidosh even though if we don't have a new base Hamidosh it's sort of our fault, every Tish above. Well the Mice, we're definitely going to have to answer all of us, doesn't make a difference who you are, we're all going to have to answer for our generation, for what's going on in our generation so if we don't know what's going on it's a very big problem, so I got up and I said a few things, but I want you to know that I said nothing, I said nothing and I really came here prepared with the whole speech about Moshe Rabbeinu. And a little bit about Yersech HaTzadik that I didn't say last year. And I could have brought up other plans. Because that's not where I'm going today. And the reason I'm not going there today is because yesterday, a girl came to my office. And I always feel that when I'm when I'm speaking and something happens, it's a simon that I need to talk about what happens. So I'm going to talk about what happened in my office yesterday. I'm not going to talk about all the things that happened in my office yesterday. My last meeting was with a 33-year-old boy who went to yeshiva that I couldn't get into. Okay, that good yeshiva. Okay, I don't know how good it is that I did, whatever. But. <laughs> and he's 33 years old, and he's engaged to a shiksa. And my job is to try to break this up. So his cousin had him come to my office, and he's Mama of this guy. He's, he's really a nice boy, and, and he just... What happens, What happened? What happened is that he has no self-esteem. And, and just very interesting, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't, I, I said it still ten times before I walked into this room. Hashem, should come out of my mouth, what they need to hear, not what I need to say, because not always what I want to say do you need to hear, and not always what you need to hear do I say. So my truth is, so I don't even know where this is coming from, but I'm going to tell you what happened. So this last meeting that I had yesterday, I said to him, you're 33 years old, you're a good-looking boy, why going him? Why are you engaged to a non-Jewish girl? Your family's from, you went to yeshiva, you told me I haven't put on tillin for 15 years. So we have a deal today, we have to year. He's coming to my office, I'm going to put on filling. and I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again, so I'm going to put on rashis, rebel toms, whatever I can get on this guy, I'm going to put on him. And you know what he said? He said, he said, Rabbi, you know, I, I try to go out with Jewish girls, but I I, I'm, I don't I don't really have a business, so I'm I'm sort of like a like a waiter and I do like odd jobs, but I make I make good money. You know the first question they ask me when I go on a date, and he's not, he's not even going out with religious Jewish girls, right? Or maybe he is, but I'm not, I don't think so. The first question is what do you do for a living? And the minute he says I'm a waiter and odd jobs, they're like my bye He says this girl she never even asked me what I do for a living. So, after speaking to him for a while, I realized that the basis of why he's off the derek and why he is where he is, is because he has very low self-esteem. And he he doesn't think that he can get a Jewish girl. He doesn't think that a Jewish family is going to accept him. This, it's his problem. Not it's not awful. I'm not saying it's awful. But this was his perception. So what I need to build a 33 year old guy is that yeah, you can get a Jewish girl, and you can go to a Jewish family, and you can put on in and you can and you can change your life. So the thing that we need to build in our children, whether you're a father or a mother or a rebbe or a mentor or just a guy sitting in shul next to somebody, is we need to build the self-esteem of our children. The self-esteem of a child is his bulletproof vest. If he doesn't believe in himself and he doesn't think anyone else believes in him, then he goes to look for things that do believe in him, things on the street and things that he shouldn't shouldn't be looking at. So the most important thing and a father-child relationship since that's the subject matter today. Or a and we're going to see about Moshe and David and all the leaders of Christ. So the most important thing for a child is two things. One, to know that there's someone out there that believes in him. He's coming today to and Why is he pronouncing it? He's been pronouncing for 15 years. Because he asked me, will God ever forgive me for what I'm doing? And I said, well, first of all, you got to get your ring back and we got to break this up. Because he won't forgive you if, if this happens. I said, but, 100%. He says, I know, but I, I don't think, I, I won't be able to do tshuva, and what." And he starts going, and I'm like, no, you can do this. I, I said, I know guys that were much worse. He's like, what? Guys that were much worse than me? I'm like, much worse. And today they're from Jews. And he was like the first time that he heard someone say, I believe in you, you can change. No matter how bad you are, you can change. Because Baruch tells us this all the time. I, I might say, until the last second, you can change. Because Baruch was relationship, and I, I, I'll tell you, why I'm telling you this. Okay, so that was my last meeting yesterday. Okay? And I had in the last month three of these boys that are engaged to non-Jewish girls. Okay? Our assimilation rate is 80%. 80%. The Jewish assimilation, I'm sure you read the Pew report, right? 80%! Which is four-fifths of Claudius Yisroh. Exactly what happened in the train. It's exactly what happened to Mitzrayim, and I don't want to scare you. There's a chidah, and the chidah says that when Mashiach comes, the chamushim ul one fifth of Klai Yisrael is going to be saved. Just like in Mitzrayim, only one fifth got out; only one fifth is going to get out. Eighty percent means there's only one fifth left of Klai Yisrael. It's not assimilating exactly what the chidah says. How many many years ago? This is something we need to know about because this is happening on our watch. So we definitely have to keep what we have, the 20% that we have, and our children, we definitely have to build up their self-esteem, and we have to tell them that we believe in them. There's a beautiful story, it's called The Third Place Winner, and I, it's going to, it take me a long time to read it, but you know, it's, it's worth listening to. Listen to this story, about about Down Syndrome child, okay? So his head lowered, exhausted but determined, the young man chanted over to himself, you can do this, you can do it, you can do it. These words, spoken as much for encouragement as confirmation, found a listening heart. Anyway, the boy watched intently as one sneaker methodically slapped the asphalt, he he couldn't walk really too fast. And he was in this big race, they have the Special Olympics for Down syndrome and autistic children. So he was in this race, and his name was Dave. With great effort, he crossed the finish line. By the time he did, the photographers and reporters had already gathered around the young man, right, who won. So this poor kid, he came in third. Nobody was paying any attention to him. Everybody was taking pictures and talking to the winner. With a smile that stretched from ear to ear, David jubilantly abounded over and proudly stu- stood next to the winner. He wrapped his arm around the young man, and who he had never had met before, and he was waiting for the reporters to talk to him but he was number three nobody talked to him so finally he walked over to the reporter this is on national television it's a true story and he says oh boy I just want to tell you what a thrill this was and how happy I am to, that I came in third the reporter had little choice but to respond uh, and he said yes tell us about it Dave and he said wow thank you for, thank you for asking me to be interviewed <laughs> this is great just great well, I'm just very happy to be here. It's such a great honor. Of course, I finished in third place. What do you think? Third place? Not bad, huh? He didn't need an answer to his question. Instead, he turned his animated face for all the world to see. This was national television. With more joy than I could remember from anyone, he said, Thank you all for sharing in this very special time with me. It's time to celebrate. And with that, Dave ran over to line up with hugs and handshakes alongside the winner. Dave was 14 years old at the time. This was the Special Olympics. There were only three runners in the entire race. He was happy that he came in third in a race where there were only three runners. Because he understood that he finished the race. And that, ladies and gentlemen, in education and in life and with your children and as a Rebbe, it's not important coming in first. That is not Yiddishkeit. That is not Judaism. The only race we ever had, you know, was in the was in the was in the base Hamidash between two kahanim who were running up a ramp. Right, that was a great idea that they came up with—a race in the base Hamidash. And one client pushed the other one off. He broke his leg, and he was puzzled. for the Avoda and the Chachamim said, "No, no, no. Races and competition for Jews—it doesn't work." So they came up with the choosing odd and even system. Everyone needs to know that it doesn't matter. You come in first, or you come in second, or you come in third, and there's only three people in the race, and you're third. Look how happy this kid was. Because at the end of the day, I did my best, and I finished. And we need to reward this in marriage, and we need to reward this with our children, and we actually need to reward this within ourselves. Because the first relationship that a person has, Rabbi Akiva said, What's the call? What's the call? Well, what does that mean? You, well, you have to love your friend like yourself. Non-Jews don't like their friends. They don't have gangs. And they don't have each other's back. And they don't take care of each other. It's a Jewish thing that you should love a friend like yourself. Why is that the Torah? That's Everybody has that. And the answer is, one answer is that that you should love God as much as yourself. And in some cases, someone might tell me, that I'm like, that's not good. You need to love God more than yourself because you don't like yourself. Okay, so sometimes that's not even good enough. But it's a beautiful pshat where Rabbi Akiva was saying that your best friend is you. If you don't get along with you and you don't have a relationship with yourself then you cannot have a relationship with others. And if you don't have a relationship with other human beings then you cannot have a relationship with the Kurdish world. So God, you want to know how to get... How are you going to get to have a relationship with Hezbollah? You? you can't see Him, you can't feel Him, right? How are you going to have a relationship? How are you going to get to that relationship? You have to have a relationship with yourself. If you don't spend time with yourself, before your children, before your wife, if you're busy, phone, phone, business, phone, phone, you don't even know your strength, so you can live your whole life and have a strength that you didn't use, you're going to come to Shemaim and say, we put this in your backpack. This is what you were supposed to do in this world, and you do not even use it, because you didn't spend time with yourself, you don't know your weaknesses, you don't know your strengths, so a person has to make the and before he goes to sleep. He has to spend five minutes. What did I really do today? What was my plan this morning that I accomplished that I didn't accomplish? If you don't like yourself, you're not gonna like your wife. And you're not gonna like your kids, and guess what? You're not gonna like your Kodesh world So when someone comes to me, and they're like, I don't get along with God, I'm like, yeah, you also don't get along with you. And they're like, that's true? Because if you don't get along with yourself to be a but what he was saying is that the first relationship you have to have is with yourself. Now, if you're a person that has to come in first every time in the race, then guess what? You're not going to like yourself because nobody can come in first always in the race. You need to know that you're doing your best. And if you know that you're doing your best that's all the wants, he just wants a side of the report card where it says effort. The other side of the report card, it's not really up to you. Like I said, they go to convention. One kid in my class has a 95 IQ. The other kid in my class has a 145 IQ. One kid's coming from a very dysfunctional home. He walked out of the house while his mother and father were screaming at each other. And the other kid walked out of the house where his mother said, "I love you" to his father, and his father said, "I love you." And They walked out. And the kid's walking out like, wow, what a family I have. He comes healthy to school with his food package, right? No, he's going to come home to a nice home. This other kid never has the most dysfunctional home. They haven't cleaned the house in three years. There's rats running around. He's coming to class. He's coming to class. He doesn't even have food. He's got a 95 IQ. The other kid has a 145 IQ. This guy has a great memory. There are people in this room that remember everything. There are people in this room that, you know, once in a while have to look at their name tags to know who they are. I'm talking about myself, no one else, right? So so we all have different memories. So how do you take take 25, 32 kids, put them in a room, and this is what I said, put them in a room, different IQs, different family values, different memories. Different personalities, teach them one same subject, give them one same test. How does that work? How could that work? So, of course, the kids were coming from the dysfunctional family. The kid with the 95 IQ or the 105 IQ, right? All of a sudden, he starts to slip. He starts not getting those good marks. There are crazy red circles on his report card, staring at him, right? And he's got all kinds of marks on his paper that say failing on it. What's it called? Um Someone came to me afterward. They said, "You're not going to believe it. My daughter, she got a, she got a 60 on the test, and the, the teacher wrote chalash maod, very weak. That's good. That's excellent. The kid's really going to do good, right? You think she doesn't know 60 is chalash maod? So, so the first thing you need to do is you need to know in yourself, within yourself, that I don't always I don't always pass, I don't always do the best. Not everyone here did the best in everything in their life. So, so we don't have a right to push our kids to be but well, we're not to find the shit up that we didn't to get the mark on the report card that we couldn't. That's not fair. That's not fair. You cannot live through your children. You have to let them be the best that they can. But they're not you. So stop living through. We have to stop living through our kids and pushing them. No, you need a better up because you didn't feel you got the best shidduch you got to give him a chance, that's why you have to be happy with yourself. You're not happy with yourself. You're not going to be happy with anyone else. And this is what's going to happen. So I get a phone call. Actually, it was Monday, not yesterday. So I'm speaking in Muncie, 8 o'clock, to our Muncie, which is 200 women. And you got to be there on time, 8 o'clock. It's in a basement. It's squished. You can't make people sit there and wait. Fine. I'm going to try to be on time. I'm going to leave a quarter to seven. Brooklyn, Butterpot, I'll be there by 8 o'clock. At 5 to 6, I get a phone call. Hi Rabbi Wallerstein, this is so-and-so, a teacher that I know, from a Bezakov school, and she says, I need to bring you a girl right now. I'm like, no can-do, I can't see her, I have to be on time. I have to be here, it's, it's, by the time you're gonna get from Flatbush to Butterpot, till I meet the kid, till I start talking, till I open up a little bit, I'm not gonna have time. She goes, you don't understand. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, This girl's in 10th grade. So she's 16 years old. She's in 10th grade, uniform, room, no boys, no cell phones, none of that stuff. Not off the direct, not going off the direct. But we see she was an unbelievable student in 9th grade and in 10th grade she's slipping and slipping and she's sort of sitting there in class with like 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 her shoulder like 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 she doesn't believe what we're talking about. She said so. So I went over to her today. This was Monday, and I said to her, "What's going on?" She says, "You don't want to know." She tells the teacher, "You don't want to know." She's like, "No, you can tell me." She goes, "You sure?" She goes, "Yeah." She says, "You're not going to tell the principal?" She goes, "No." She figures, boys, who knows what? She goes, "I'm an atheist." <laughs> Tenth grade, a girl from home, no boys. No 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 bad stuff, no internet. An atheist! Shalom alaykum! She's an atheist. Okay. So the teacher says, You have questions? She goes, I have a lot of questions. She says, Okay. Would you would you talk to someone? Because sometimes they don't want to talk to anyone. Would you talk to someone? She goes, who? So the teacher says, Rabbi Wallace man. So she says, I'll talk to him today. But tomorrow, maybe not. So the teacher's like, Pukuach Nefesh? I'm like, 200 women in that basement is more Pukuach Nefesh. Trust me. Okay? So, what are you going to say? I said, oh yeah, I'll give you 15 minutes. What am I going to do? So get over here, I'll give you 15 minutes. In walks this frum-looking girl, nice frum-girl, uniform, this Yaakov girl, sits down in front of me and say, I make believe I don't know why she's there. I'm like, so how can I help you? I only have a few minutes. She goes, I'm an atheist. I'm like, spell it. If you can't spell atheist, then you can't be one. But she happened to have been very smart, and she spelled it. My motto. Good school, but I'm not familiar you which one. Good education. So I said, you're an atheist? You're a young atheist. I said, what does that mean, you're an atheist? She goes, the world is random. That's a very big word today for, I mean, we're a little old, but the new generation, everything is just random. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? I don't know. It's just like random. <laughs> right? I short a kid about it, and grandpa, they're throwing peels and stuff on the on the, on the the floor. And I said to him, the garbage can's on the corner. Why'd you put it in the garbage? And, ah, it's just random. I just throw things around, randomly. Now, that's a very big word, by the way. We think that random, okay, random, a bunch of kids, random. Random is, I'm all like... That's what random is. Random means that Hashem didn't create the world, stuff happened, a bunch of gases, they bumped into each other. I said to him, I'm very insulted if you think Wallace can happen because a bunch of gases bumped into each other. I mean, come on. I believe that you know God spent some time creating a human being. Right? A bunch of, right? A bunch of gases bumped into each other. Random. It's the randomness in physics, random physics. Right? Stuff just bumps into each other and, and things happen. So the minute she said random, I'm like, okay, this is Amalek. This is what they believe. They believe the world came into being and everything is random, which is the opposite of Hashgachah HaPratus. Right? So they, the Venezuelan says, what did Amalek say? What did Amalek say when the Yamsuf cre- uh, split? They were right there. they just finished with Kleinschwab. What did they say? How did they, how did they answer? So he says, they answered. They said that there was something underneath the ocean. What they, this the writes this. There so was something happened underneath the ocean, and with an earthquake and the young split, and randomly, Kaleishwil had to be in the right place at the right time. And that's what they believe. Work place, work time, right place, right time, that's called random. It's not a gospel practice. It's not a like gospel practice. It just, it just happens. So you have this 10th grade base girl who's telling me, right after 10 years in school, and learning everything that we teach them, telling me that the world is random, and I don't believe in the Torah, and I don't believe in anything. So, the first thing I said is the famous line. I said, are you here with questions? Or are your questions your answer? And she's like, you're trying to mix me up. I'm like, no. In other words, are you doing something bad? Or tomorrow's New Year's, you want to do something bad, that's why you said, maybe tomorrow I'm not going to talk too often, so you want to do something bad, so you created questions to get rid of God, so you can do what you want. So your questions are not real questions, they are the answer to your behavior. Or, so you have real questions. So I know, I know, because I'm in Chinuch 36 years, and I've dealt with a lot, a lot of kids, even though some rabbi got up and said, who gave him a right to talk the good convention, what does he know about Chinuch? And the guy said to him, Rabbi, he's a Rebbe for 36 years. Oh, I thought he was just a speaker, right? So, <laughs> great. Thank you very much. After he ripped me to pieces, he found out that I'm a Rebbe, right? But whatever, fine, no problem. she live long, prosper. No problem. No, seriously, <laughs> no problem with it. Right? So, Right? So, so, I'm like, we. I know that something happened to this kid. Because there's a rule. And you should all know this rule. You should never see it. You should, your kid should be... Grandchildren, great grandchildren, everyone should be on the derech stay of main because it's very important. Amen. We need to be on the derech, on the good derech. Nobody leaves their environment <laughs> willingly. Nobody wakes up. No guy wakes up in the morning, right, and says, "I'm done. No Shabbos, no kosher, yamakul off." No, doesn't work that way. We as human beings, we we are very into our environment. Alaskans don't go to Florida. Floridians. Don't go to Alaska. What are you talking about? In the summer, it's 150 degrees and humid in Florida. Go to Alaska and Anchorage. It's nice. No, I live in Florida. I, I deal with the humid. I deal with the not humid. I deal with tornadoes. I deal with hurricanes. Why do all these people in Florida, like right, Why would they live there? They have these crazy hurricanes. How about New Orleans? How about the Panhandle? Tornadoes, hurricanes. Get out of there. Move to Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, Okay. <laughs> Okay, move to Muncie, right? Okay, whatever. But what are you doing there? And the answer is, even though we have tornadoes and hurricane, right? Look what happened to New Orleans. They won't move back. Nobody moved away. Why? It's their environment. It's what they know. How do we know this? Because one of the biggest tests that Abraham Lavino had was, atzim, Why was that a big test? Hashem said, where to go? Wherever you're going to go, you're going to be rich. You're going to be... Bright. If Hashem came to me and said, listen, Wallerstein, move to Eretz Cistro, right? You're going to be rich. You're gonna be famous, right? And the whole Kaifa is gonna come from you. You're gonna be, he gave him all these brothers. So, what was the the big test? What was the big test? And the answer is, with all that, a brother said, I I really just stay home. I, I, I have a yeshiva. Right? And and and, 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 the, the people that I made in Haran, and this is what I'm used to, and this is where my father lives, and I'd rather stay, but, 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 you could go and you could be, and, and I don't want to be. And we know that many people have been given jobs, I'm sure in this room, where you'd have to move away from New York, and there's a great job somewhere in Oklahoma or in Dakota or wherever it is, and it pays triple the time, you're like, I'm not going. We're not going, we're going to get you a house. I know guys, rabbis' jobs. We're going to buy you a house. We're going to pay you $150,000 a year with a car and everything. He's like, I'm not going to South Dakota. Right? But we're giving you everything. It doesn't matter. Because we do not leave our environment unless something pushed us out of our environment. So I have a 10th grade base Yaakov girl who is way out of her environment. She became an atheist. You don't just wake up in the morning and say, I want to be an atheist. So something happened. Now, I knew that. Something had to happen. Something's pushing this kid out. Either she wants to do something bad, or something happened to her, or someone died that she said to heal him for all day and all night, and she feels like, I don't understand, a lot of people... Go off the dark because of Sadi Baralo and, and Russia Batoyvoy, right? Which has to be explained to kids. Russia not had that question, the I have that question. So I right away said, nah, she's not an atheist, right? But I can't talk to the teacher in front of the teacher. So I said, okay, let's talk about atheism. And I said the following I said, I don't like to prove God because it's. it's very cold. I'd rather you come to a through Ahava, through looking at his creations. But if you need to meet to prove God, I'll prove God. And I said to you know, there's a relationship between us and Hashem. Hashem doesn't ask anyone in this room to love him till he tells us that he loves us. Before you say baHaftei and Kriyashma, you say baAmu Yisrael the Whether it's Shachris or Ma'ariv, you always say that a chose us with love. Then Hashem says, now you know I love you. Now I can ask you to love me. It's unbelievable. If, you, if, you, if we would teach children relationships with our Kurdish Baruch Hu, and we would see, children would see what God does for us, and a relationship with them, we wouldn't have any atheists. And we wouldn't have kids jumping out, out of Yiddishkeit at the speed that they are jumping at. We need to bring bas Hashem to the children. And it's, it's very easy. It's not a hard thing to do. I'm never not, you know, I understand, I learn prayer and everything, but I'm not on the level of, of my, my Rosh Hashiva, Birnbaum, right, which is a very famous story. I, I see a who through his Bria. I was always out of the box as a kid, even in in pre-1A kindergarten. We're talking 50 years ago, 52 years ago, before they had therapists, before they knew anything about learning the disabilities. And I, for some, for some reason, I was a kid who used to draw outside the lines. Not in and out, but totally out. I didn't draw anything inside the line. So when they saw me, they said, he must be dyslexic, right? Or well, there's something going on with him. So they put me in the corner of kindergarten. Like, we don't want any of the other kids to start drawing outside the line. So as a kid, I remember, I was like, big deal, inside the line, anybody can do, right? They made lines for that. But I could draw outside the line, then I could do what I want. So uh, my head was always outside the box, and I always asked a lot of questions, and I'm not going to go into the butterfly, but I'll tell you one little, little, one little thing that I once told a kid that was telling me he doesn't believe in Hashem. I'll tell you two little things. One, sunrise. Okay? So I went into Yeshiva, and Rashiva asked me, so what are you going to talk about to the boys today? And I'm like, sunrise. And he's like, no, no, that's for girls. I don't want you to teach my boys about sunrise. I said, no, 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 it's Zayar. Zayar? Zayar on sunrise? I'm like, yeah. Okay? You know what's Zayar on sunrise? I'll tell you, Zayar on sunrise. So they asked, Zayar asked the question, how come the, the world doesn't go from, in the morning, right, from darkness to light in a split second? What's this whole thing? God did not have doesn't have a deal with hallmark. You understand? We don't need sunrise, and He didn't do fiddling on the roof. Sunrise, sunset. So Hashem doesn't need that. So why didn't Hashem just make it? The minute the darkness is over, and the sun comes out. Boom, it's light. And at night, right? It's light, dark. One second. So Zoya you know what Zaya says? You jump out of your seats. Zoya says because when a the says when a person comes out of a dark room into a light room, he has to blink. So the Zoya says, why did Hashem create sunrise? This is what he says. Because he doesn't want the human being to have to blink. He's worried about us blinking. And at night, the reason he makes the sunset so slow is because if it would go from light to dark, you'd be walking, it would get dark, you would fall into a hole. That's what the Zaya says. So he doesn't care about us? So no, it's just random? Random sunrise? Random sunset? Okay. Another one. So I grew up in Muncie. They have what's called fireflies. I'm sure you've seen it in the mountains. We, even though it's khayyam we as kids take them and put them in a jar with little holes in it. Those poor little things, and we watch them in our room flying around and flashing. So as a kid, I grew up with that, and I always asked, like, why do these little bugs have a tail light? <laughs> like why like why the birds have a tail light you know this thing's flying in the air and it's got a little tail light flashing ma mazai what's going on over here right so I was a kid that always asked questions and I was like if Hashem wants bugs to light up then all bugs can light up imagine if he would have done it with mosquitoes we could kill them all night right instead of them getting us at night flash boom right who cares about these bugs light up mosquitoes and bees. We'll we'll chop them all at night. Wow, Could you imagine? it would be so much fun. Right? And then if they all end up on the flypaper, you'd have this flypaper at night, just lighting up. It would be amazing. (laughs) I had this crazy head. So I asked the question. So I asked the question, why? You ready for this? This is the scientists. This is what they write. Bugs eat each other at night. I'm sure that's very important information you came to hear that tonight from the ship. They eat each other at night. How do they eat each other? From the back, like fish. They don't go head on. So the big bug eats the little bug, he's flying along, having a good time, all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. This bug, the blood is is a chlorophyll blood, it's a greenish blood, which is very, very, very bitter. So what happens if a bug would see it from behind, and it didn't have this little light flashing. It would bite into it, and spit it out. Because it tastes disgusting. So what did would do? Hashem said, a bug of my bria should die? Why do they die? Because the way Hashem created it, the big eat the little, right? That's, that's the chain. So if it's going to eat it, it's going to keep the bigger one alive, that's how Hashem set up the world. But Hashem didn't set up the world that you should just kill a bug and spit it out. So he put a little light on the tail of this bug. This is what the, the guy right. They put a little light on the end of this bug so that other bugs should know that bug you can't bite because that bug you're not going to eat. And therefore they're never killed, they're never eaten from behind and just spit out. So because butterfly said to the kids, I said, Hashem is worried about a firefly? No, so he spit them out. It's going to make a difference in all life? A couple of fireflies get spit out on the floor? Yes. Even a bug can't be wasted. That's a shkakha practice. There's nothing in this world that's random. I said, and that's how I want you to come to Hashem. I don't want to prove you. He's all over the place. You know, if you study art, I have certain paintings in my house. There's certain painters that I love. I can walk into any gallery, and I look at a painting, and I can say... I know who that painter is, because I studied this painter, I collect this painter, I know his brush strokes, I know, I know the color of, of, the, of, the, of the ink that he uses, right, or the paint that he uses, so I can recognize it. I don't need to read on the bottom the signature, I know who it is. I said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he's signed all over the place. In a flower, in a bird, in a human body. I was telling my class yesterday, the human body, I'm sure there's some doctors in there. The human body, you get a bump, it swells up. Why? Why does it swell up? Because your blood, your brain tells the blood, you got to go to the place of the bump because blood helps heal. It has all the nutrients and the minerals and the warmth. So it goes to that place. Boom! You get a bump, it swells up. The whole, the whole human body, it's unbelievable. How can you say it's random? So the people who say it's random have to say it's random because they have to get rid of a curse world. So Shmuel Burnba, my Rosh Shiva he didn't need flowers and and, and, and fireflies. No one could have what, them. I'll tell you a true story that they said by the Shiva. So in the Mir, there was a Kahil man at that time that was, he was in Khala for 40 years. And his wife became very, very sick, stage four cancer. And this this younger man had, had a he wasn't a young man at that point right? he was older he had children and he had a very big family and he went to Rosh and he said Rosh you have to help me I, I can't I have children I'm a I have grandchildren she's everything she takes care of everything you, you have to be you have to do a Now anyone who knows about Rosh Hashiva or you don't do he, he said wife's I'm not a rabbi and I'm not I'm a corporal I sit and learn. that's all but he pushed him and he pushed him and he said Rosh you have to do something for my wife okay so finally he pushed the and said, okay, I'll try, you know, he was always a big honor. Try, I'll drop it, like anybody else dive in else down give me the name, ah, fine. Two weeks later, they get a letter, there's some kind of trial in, in the Netherlands, some kind of new chemo, whatever it is. Twenty people were picked, she was one of them. Long story short, ten of them passed away, and ten of them were totally clean. So I don't know which one they gave the real, which one they didn't. She had a total reforce So he goes to the Rosh and he says, Mashmah. Rishishiva is the rabba, <laughs> Or a makubo. Rishishiva says, no, neither, I just, I just doubted. He's like, Rishishiva, this is a miracle. Can you tell me what you did? And he pushed him. They were very close. And he pushed him and he pushed him. I want to tell you what Rishmul Berman said. Rishmul Berman said, I'll tell you the truth, he said. <clears throat> I talked to Abayin Rabba every day. So I told Abayin Rabba, listen, we talk all the time. I never, I never asked you for anything. But we're like a chavusa. Me, we, I talk to you, you talk back to me. So do me a favor. Go to the Kisa kavod for this boy. He sits and learns all day long. He learns about you also. Go to the Kisa kavod for this boy. The Rosh Hashimah didn't learn Gemara. Didn't learn Abayin rubber He learned with Abayin Ravah. He didn't learn a Rashi. He learned with Rashi. That's connecting to Kishboruch through Torah. And that's the fire that, I'm not saying anyone here doesn't have, but I don't, you know, I go, I go to Daf Yemi and Daf Yemi is very, very important, but once in a while I go to Mir, she would deliver my brother and that place is on um, fire. They're screaming at each other. If a guy would walk in, he would think, what's going on with these Jews? What's, what's, what are they arguing about? Everybody's yelling at each other. The other day a guy picked up his stender. I was like, no! <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? with picked up the stender. What are you talking about? You have the Hulkamano wrong. And I was like, don't throw the stender out. <laughs> fire! Where's that fire? Huh? Sit for an hour, can't wait till the watch hits it, Got your coffee, Got your tea, went through three straws and a foam cup and have a good day. Get not have that fire! I'm not saying the Daphne is not good, but the fire is what Clive's role has. We're not, it's not subject. Tudor is not a subject. It's, it's, it's fire. It's life. And, and our children are beginning to believe that it's a subject. It's fire. So you're got to see your father is all fired up about it. So yeah, maybe it's good to have a chabrusa come once a week at home so your kids can see you yelling at each other. I mean, once in a while you'll agree, but you know, most of us, we have a chabrusa, we don't agree with anything. Right? We're fighting. Our kids need to see that. That's it's a subject. In, out, an hour, have a good day. Again, I'm, I'm not mustering anybody here. I'm talking to myself. Because I, I need to have that fire when I learn. They need to see that it's life. This girl was a subject. So I said, but I'm gonna prove you, I'm gonna prove you God. I said, there are three proofs. One I just learned. One is the Torah tells us because Akash Baruch Hu knew that there would be a generation like this and Akash Baruch who knew that people would ask questions on the Torah so the first answer is that Akash Baruch Hu wrote in the Torah that there's only one animal in the world that has split herbs and doesn't chew its cud, and that's the Chazir now how can anyone know that? And Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the Torah, he definitely wouldn't have put something in it that you could disprove a few years later. No zoologist. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu, where did he live? In a little piece of the Middle East. He definitely didn't know what was going on in the South American jungles. Right? What kind of animals lived there. So if the Torah says that there's only one animal in the world that has split hooves and doesn't chew its cud, and it's a chazir, the only one that can make such a statement is the creator of all animals. You can't take a guess because if they find an animal that has split hooves, and doesn't you it's cut, and it's not a chazir, then the whole Torah is not true. Yeah, yeah. So only a Kurdish Baruch could say something like that. And then what else does it say? It says in the Gemara that there's no such thing as a fish that has kaskashes, that has scales and no fins. Now that you surely can't know because they're in the water. So we don't know what's in the water. So again, only the creator of all the fish can know that. So Hashem, Hashem put two markers in the Torah for people who don't believe so that there's no questions. But I heard something last two two weeks ago which blew me out the door, which I never heard. Which happened with a a bunch of atheists and a rav, and this is what he told them. He said, a a month, a Jewish month is different than a non-Jewish month. They have 28 days sometimes in February, and they have 31 days. We have 29, 30, right? And Chinese have different months. Months, different months. Years, we have a different year. We have a lunar year. They have a solar year. There's one thing. The whole world whether you're Aztecs or Intecs or, 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 or living in, in Libya or living in the rainforest, that the whole world has always agreed, and that seven days is a week. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Nobody ever said, that seven days is six. Is, that a week is six days or eight days. Yes, the, Shav- the Sabbath is on a Friday. One religion it's on Shabbos. The- it's Saturday or it's on Sunday. That's God the- But I mean. Nobody, the Aztecs from the the biggest idea of the Zoro, everyone agrees in the whole world. Chinese doesn't make a difference who you are. A week is seven days. Where does that come from? Maybe a week is five days. Maybe a week is eight days. Because when God created the world. Six days he created, and the seventh day he rested, and that's what created a week. And since the beginning of creation, man, not Jews, man, has always given to man that God created the world six days, and he rested on the seventh, therefore it's a week. No religion, no non-religion, no, no, everybody believes that a week is seven days. Where does that come from? A bunch of gases bumped into each other? How come one nation doesn't have eight days, one nation doesn't have six days? Because from the beginning of the world, somewhere when the world started, the human being started telling the next human being, by the way, six days and one day, seven days makes a week, seven days makes a week, and nobody argues it, no religion argues it, nobody argues it. (coughs) Where did that come from? It cannot come from randomness. So I told this to this girl. I said, so now you have three proofs. And she said, great. When are we going to talk again? I'm like, you didn't really need that, did you? That's not what this is really about. So Mitzvah Shem today, I hope to, at 5 o'clock to meet with her again and find out what's, what, you know, what's, what's the behind the scenes. But could you imagine that you could be a 10th grader in a firm family and, and need someone to prove you that there's a Hakush Baruch? And that's what we need to do. We need to talk about Hashem in our houses with excitement. Talk about Hashkot HaPratis. I'm sure some of you heard this story. Maybe not. Uh, I, I heard it and I said it over. And some people said they heard it. I, it's, it's, it's from a label of Shabayah from Rav It's an unbelievable story. And the story that he writes, talk about Hashkot HaPratis, is that one day this family gets like a phone call. We're really, really sorry. But you're... Um, Your mother passed away, and um, they had everything set up ready We're gonna take it to a funeral home, and we're gonna send her by plane um, to to you and Eric's trial. And so they said, "Okay." Their mother was very old. Fine. So the the coffin comes. It comes off L.L. and it's got the name written all over the box, ready. And they and they bury her in Hamanuchos I think, wherever one of these places. And they sit shiva. They start sitting shiva. Two days into the shiva, the second night, phone rings. Hello this is the administrator of the nursing home, they don't know whatever it is, your mother wants to speak to you. <laughs> it's a true story. So he's like, my mother wants to speak to me, we buried her two days ago. And the guy's like, no, she's sitting right next to me, she's about, she's so, so put her on the phone. Hello, yes sir. how are you, what's going on? What? He's like, mom, you died! <laughs> she goes, no. So they're, they're like, they're in shock. They buried somebody else, right? Their mother is alive. What's going on? So he says, well, well we, we got a call from the nursing home and that you died and we buried somebody. She goes, oh, oh, that was my roommate. Your roommate, yeah. This is a true story. They stood the two names. Like in a hospital, there's two names. And they switched. And they thought the woman in the right bed, whoever it was. So when they put her in the coffin, they wrote down, the, she never died, okay? they got to get they call the call administrator. Can you give us the phone number of the family of the woman that did die? we have to call them and tell them. So they get the phone number, and wrong, they call this family in America, and they're like, "Hello. We have some you know really bad news." And they're like, "What's going on? Um, your mother died, and we buried her." <laughs> and by the way, you only need to sit five days, we erase that too. <laughs> so listen to this. So the guy on the phone says, that witch, my mother should die? It's celebration time! He's like, what? <laughs> We're going to get all that money? We've been waiting for that witch to die? Mom is, the guy mommy mommish him. Ugh. Right? And he's listening to this and he's like, um, okay. So, um, do you want to know where she's buried? And they're like, yeah, yeah, send us an email, let us know where she's buried. It, well, it's in Israel. Good, we don't even have to go visit her. Mama's Moshchassim. Mama's Moshchassim. Okay. He hangs up, he's like, what's going on over here? So he calls back his mother. And he says, Mom, this lady next to you, you know, I called her kids, they don't really like her. What, what, was she, what, what, what happened? She says... What, what, do you, what do you have to do with the lady next? He says, this, he told her, he, we thought it was you, so we he buried her, and she married to Swell. And, and his mother starts crying. And he says, why cry, crying, Mom? She says, you don't understand. This woman came 10 years to the nursing home. She wasn't religious. She didn't keep Shabbos. She didn't keep anything. And, and I got very close to her, and she started lighting candles, and she was making breakfast. But there was one thing that she was very, very scared of, and she kept talking, and she kept talking to me about it. and." and what was that? That her children signed, made her sign that she's going to be cremated. And this was something that made her crazy because she realized that the Jew shouldn't be cremated and she was about to chew at this age. So not only was her thrillous everybody, but she wasn't cremated, she was buried on Herman near and Eric Swoon. Nothing's random. Nothing's random. There's a Hakash and he's very careful. And there's a Hashkachah, and we all need to know that hash- there's a Hashkachah, and we need to give that over to the children. I just want five more minutes of time to start it late. So it's, it's shay-difin. I'm sorry that I'm going to hammer a little bit, but I would be Wallstein if I don't hammer. I'd work to grow up to be a builder, I guess, whatever. So Shaivism, as you know, I don't have to tell you, it starts with Shmos, through Mishpatim, and the reason that it's specifically for the Aveira, a man's Aveira, and specifically Mondays and Thursdays we fast, is because, I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but the Nitzaitseis of Adam, when he split for 130 years from, from Chava, and the Aveira that he did, um, caused his Mishama to splinter into many, many pieces, and those Nitzaitseis came back to the world by by um, Noah and they were destroyed and then they came back by the Doha Flog and they were destroyed and they ended up in Mitzrayim and Klaysol had to go into Mitzrayim. Yosef HaTzadik was a of Adam and Potiphar's wife was a, was a Gilger of the Sultan and he had to go into Mitzrayim and collect these tzitzis that the Satan actually caused Adam to do this avera and that's why we went into Mitzrayim the and there was this big war between Yosef HaTzadik a huge war and Potiphar's wife and and uh, the says that Yosef lost then his yisrael would have been broken, the world would have been destroyed at that spot, because the tzaytseis would not have been able to be gathered, and Adam would not have be been able to be gathered. We are now in Ikva de Mishikha, which means that the heel, the whole Adam was put together, I think a big piece through the Holocaust, through our suffering, was put together, and the Ikva de Mishikha is just the heel. But anyone here with had a heel spray knows, if you have a heel spray, you can't stand. So we are the ones... I need to get rid of the heel spur and put this Ikva de mishicha, this put mishiach back together again by taking the Nitzitzitz, by taking, by being Kadosh, and that's what we have Shalazim, to try Shmos, to all them in trying, from Shmos to, to mishmatim, that's what we have the Nitzitzitzitz. So I just want to tell you something, which is really very, very scary. And that is as follows. So, so Yosef HaTzadik, this whole war, so it's brought down in the Medjish that so Yosef HaTzadik was very, very beautiful. The only man in the Torah that's called the Yifas Marad, Yifas Karya, that he was really, really beautiful because he was a Gilgal of Adam, And Adam, of course, had no DNA. He wasn't from a human being. Hashem created him. So God was the sculpture of the first human being. Of course, he was beautiful. And Chava was also very beautiful because she was also sculptured. So, it says that, the Chida says that Motifa's wife, was the satan was the, was and therefore she was very very beautiful and there was this war between the two of them and it's brought down that she was sick and her friends the major says and her friends saw that she was sick and they said why are you sick and she said I had this Jewish slave and he's beautiful and they said how could that be and he, she put him they, she put Yosef Atalek in the middle and put him in chains with a with a metal thing underneath his neck that he would have to keep his head up and she took all her friends and they made a circle and they gave each one a knife and an esrig. And they said, go look at him. When they brought him in. They started cutting the tips of their fingers off. The Mevi says this. And the blood was running down their hands. And Batisla's wife said, ha I'm sick. Look at you. You're cutting your fingers off. Okay? Yeshiva Tzali came back. I'm saying it very, very fast. Yeshiva Tzali came back. This was brought down by Rukhah Vital. In the state of Gugula, Yeshiva came back. He said, yeshiva Gadol and that's why the Gemara said that Yishmael Ka'in Gadda was so beautiful that when the Malachim saw him they said he looks a little bit like a Kirsh or whatever that means we don't understand what that means but his Ka'in Gadda was beautiful and we know Kirsh said give me a bracha." he was at the top and he was beautiful what happened by the Sarah Ruge Malchus, right? She wanted to keep him alive, the princess. Her fo- I want to look at him. And, 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 and the king said, no, we're going to peel his skin and, and his facial features off his face. And as it says, when it reached the Makkah Matthilin, right, he gave out such a yell, the whole earth was shook. The says, said, Zutayv, Zutchaira. The, the whole world, Hashem said, I'll, I'll destroy the whole world. Cause if you want to know the answer, I have to go all the way to the beginning, right? What did he do wrong if the Mishmai Ka'in Gadol says that was the guild of Yosef? He didn't sell himself. So if he was the guild of Yosef, he should have been the one that should not have been hurt at all. It was all because of the of selling of the selling of the brothers. But if Rabbi Shmuel going God the guild of Yosef he didn't do anything wrong. Why is he suffering? Chaim Vital. You ready? Why he's suffering? Because Yosef when he was in irons and his neck was held in place, actually had one second of Hanan from looking at Potiphar's wife. And therefore, this is so scary. Listen to this. Okay, no, one second he looked at her. He was in irons. But he had a of what he stole. So as of Chaymi she had a right. Who was this daughter of the king? This was the Gilgal of Asia's Potiphar. She had a right to have his face skinned and stuffed that she could look at it for the rest of her life. Because she said, can I get "Me looking at me, though, you enjoyed looking at me. That gives me a right to enjoy looking at you." One second, he was forced, and he looked at a woman and he enjoyed what he saw. The answer, he had to come back and get his face to her because he enjoyed what she what she looked like. Now she has it for the rest of her life, has a Kayach, even though he wasn't one of the shalatim to look at him says the Kab HaYosha that if you look at a woman or if a woman looks at something she shouldn't look at you could be sitting in Gan you're at Sadiq that's what the Kab says you're sitting in Gan you're in the middle of a shear that woman that you looked at is sitting in Gehenna she has a right to pull you out of Gan you looked at me on this world I have a right to look at you in the next world. They will pull you out of Gan and bring you to Gehedim. Midah, can me though? Do you understand what I'm saying? You have a no? You look at me? I have a right to look at you. You could be in the highest part of Gan Now she ended up coming to Shemayim and she's in Gehenna, and she's like, that guy sitting in Gan He looked at me. Now I want to look at him. They're going to pull you out of Gan that's where they're going to put you. Kavayoshu. That's what the Kabayashi says. How scary. How scary is Shmir am. Whatever you have Hanav on this world, the Isser on the next world, they have a right to have Hanav from you. It's a straight up Kabayashi. They're not, not playing any games. So we have to be so careful what we listen to and what we look at. And in these days of Shadrachim, very, very specifically, everyone's Kaddish, you have to realize that if you have no of looking at something that you're not supposed to, that something has a right in Shemayim and Bezim Sharmayim because Boku is very into Midah, that something has a right to look at you and pull you out of your name. Now you're going to say to me, Okay, you know, because guys, I, I I looked away, and and, and, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch something, but when it comes to the bad parts, I'm gonna close my eyes. And I'm ending with this. So a lot of people think, right? they go online, they go to that, whatever it is, so there's pictures <laughs> on AOL, all these pictures that pop up, and it's like, ah, you know, I'm not going to look at that, I'm going to go to the next page, to the next page, where I'm going to watch a movie, Chas Rishon. when it comes to the bad parts, eh, I'm going to close my eyes. Or I'm going to go to a Nick game, to a basketball game, I was just telling my boys, you know, the, the stuff that he doesn't let us live anymore. You can't go to a basketball game, you can't go to a hockey game. There was a basketball game that they did for the Jewish kids, I don't know, uh, what, uh, Levine sang you know. Uh, America, whatever, there was one day, Hanukkah time, that the Nets, the New Jersey Nets, had for Jewish kids, Jewish people. So the place was full of Jewish people. Uh, Levine sang the opening song, and then the Maccabees sang the in between the first, the first half and the second half. So we keep a Jewish game, right? Okay, you do agree, you don't agree, but what? What happened? They have these dancers. So all these Jewish kids from Yeshiva that were sitting there who really came to watch a basketball game. Between every time there was a timeout, these people came out. These women, not dressed, dancing, and the, the father's like, "Oh, yeah, don't look, don't look." And the kids like, "Are they playing yet? Are they playing yet? Can I look? You know?" And the father's like, "He's watching. He's telling him that you know, nope, I'll let you know when they're off. Uh, I'll let you know when they're gone, right?" So, I want to read you something. We'll end with this. It's brought down in a sacred called My Misha. And he asks Akasha, and he says, "How come when Noah was not dressed, I'm finished with this. When Noah was not dressed, his two sons took a blanket and backed in, and, and put the blanket on him. Why didn't they just walk forward, close their eyes, and put it on them? What's with the back walking, walking backwards? Right? They work backwards. Shame us, walk backwards. Shem and Yefes walk backwards. Why are you walking backwards? If you're walking backwards, you're going to trip over each other. Walk forward, close your eyes, you falls on the bed. Figure out how many steps. Close your eyes. Ten steps. Drop the blanket. Let's go." Listen to what he says. Unbelievable. This is what he says. He says, The reason, He says, Why were their faces backwards? Walk straight and close your eyes. So he says, Listen to what he says. Because, It says in the passage, Didn't see the air of their father. should have said their eyes. He says to tell you, to tell you, that your levo, even if your eyes are closed, that a person has to know that tzaddikim are We are tzaddikim. Vetzelim alukim apnehem, and the tzalim of Hashem is on our face. watsu asher They didn't want their faces, which have the tzelim alukim yiru eserva. So even with their eyes closed, gamshi yitnu apnehem, even if their eyes are closed. The had he he says, if your eyes are open. So when he's saying you're a kidna, he's saying that even with your eyes closed, if your face, your eyes are closed, you're not looking, but your face is facing an erva, you need to know, has a terrible effect on you. Because on your face, on all of our faces, is the Telon king. al a person's eyes are open. A person, this, these are the six weeks that we have to work on Shemir's Inayim. Nobody should ever have a right to pull any of us out of anything. You should have atzlachah and brachah and only good things and simchas and yeshues. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.